there, and welcome to In My Words, Jumo's podcast series that brings the experiences of real patients directly to you. At Jumo, we provide resources for children and families to understand, manage, and own their health. Sign up for free at jumohealth.com. For the next few In My Words episodes, we'll be down in Sydney, Australia, where the Jumo team has partnered with the Spine Care Foundation to focus on some very important topics around spinal cord injuries. Our local colleague, Kirsty, will be guiding us through these topics. Hi, Kirsty. Hi, Rebecca. Can you start off by telling us what a spinal cord injury is? Sure. A spinal cord injury is damage to any part of the spinal cord or nerves at the end of the spinal cord. It often causes significant changes to muscle strength, sensation, and other body functions below the level of injury, and can sometimes result in paralysis. It causes an interruption to the messages that go between the brain and the body, as the spinal cord is like the motorway for messages. Thanks, Kirsty. Now we're going to get into the experiences of one person in particular who was kind enough to share his story with us. I'll let Kirsty take it from here. Thanks, Rebecca. Everyone's experience and prognosis after a spinal cord injury is different. No two injuries are the same. This can be extremely frustrating and confusing, but whether you've suffered a spinal cord injury or have a friend or loved one who has, it may be helpful to hear the story and experiences of someone else. Through our partnership with Northcott's Spine Care Foundation, we were fortunate enough to be introduced to Dom, who tells the story of his C5-6 spinal cord injury and life after, in his own words. He went from serving in the Royal Australian Air Force to being an advocate for himself and for others with disabilities, and he's learned a lot along the way. Lucky for us, he's going to share some of that information with us. Uh, hi guys, my name is Dom Freestone and I'm currently 34 years old. I have a C5-6 spinal cord injury which I sustained when I was 23 years old and serving in the uh, Royal Australian Air Force. So at the time I was uh, a diesel mechanic with the Air Force and I was down in Albury, Wodonga uh, doing my training to become uh, a mechanic. Uh, it was a really hot day. Uh, me and my friends decided that we'd go to the Hume Weir Dam and just have a bit of a swim and a relax. And we'd been there all day having a barbecue and different things and it was getting late and getting a bit darker and I thought I'd go for one last swim just to wash off the sand off my uh, legs. And I remember sort of jogging into the water, diving in, and then I hit something and I didn't really know what it was. Um, I don't really remember floating to the surface. I sort of came to face down in the water and tried to turn myself over, but I uh, couldn't actually flip my body over. So I knew I'd done something pretty serious. Uh, my friends were on the beach at the time and they said they could see my shoulder twitching. So they realized that I wasn't uh, faking it and they came and turned me over and kept me in the water. So luckily I was able to hold my breath that long. I think I did ingest a little bit of water into my lungs, which wasn't good later on. Uh, they kept me still at the side of the water and didn't pull me around or move me too much, which is uh, really important, I guess, when you have a spinal cord injury, that they don't move you initially very much. 
Uh, they called an ambulance and the ambulance took a long time to turn up. So I was getting really dark and cold. Uh, boats were going past and waves were washing past me and sort of hurting me a bit. Like with the, the just the water movement was enough to give me a lot of pain. Uh, then the ambulance turned up, uh, put me in the back and um, they closed the doors and tried to take off. But the ambulance was actually bogged in the sand. My friends had to dig out the ambulance and push it out. Uh, so they could actually get me to the hospital. And then I remember on the way to the hospital, I had brand new board shorts on, which was my main concern at the time. I didn't really think it was as serious as it was. So I remember them cutting off my brand new board shorts and I was devastated. And then I went into, um, I guess it was the Oru Wodonga base hospital. I don't know what it was called. And, they basically sedated me and uh, I was out until I sort of came to the next day when they were flying me from there to the Austin in Melbourne, where I was operated on and given a spinal fusion, which involved them taking a piece of my hip and fusing it with my spine and taking out all the little bits of broken bone and, and yeah, fusing the bone and steel back together so that now I think it's from C4 to seven is fused together so I sort of have limited neck movement and things like that and then I spent the next week in the ICU um, sort of recovering it was pretty bad in the ICU so I spent um, a lot of time trying to cough up uh, the fluid that was in my lungs and things but because I had a neck brace on just had a spinal cord injury and couldn't move any part of my body it's quite hard to cough on your back when you can't and you don't have you ever really reduced lung capacity so uh, I had to get assisted coughs from the physios which was really hard and then they had to use suctioning to sort of stick it down your throat and suck out the uh, the mucus and things like that so that was really difficult but there's some really good staff that worked there and I think I spent about a week on life support and about two weeks in the ICU and then I was moved to the ward where I sort of just started I guess that was the first steps to getting better that's where I first sat up in bed uh, was on the ward which was quite daunting after being on your back and having a spinal cord injury to be sitting up again because you know how fragile your neck is uh, it was the first time I'd had a wash so that was two weeks later and I can remember the the nurse I was on a, a bed still lying flat uh, and the nurse took me into the shower and was showering me and I was talking away to her and she was quite attractive and young and I was talking to her uh, thinking I was killing it and then I was like it dawned on me and I said am I naked lying here talking to you and she's like yeah and I was like oh that's really off-putting that was the first time that had ever happened to me so that was really confronting to be to have someone else washing you like yeah it was you know normal for them I guess but for me it was completely alien so that was uh, really difficult for a long time to get used to um, being washed uh, and I do remember my Air Force friends turning up there one day and I guess they were all very young. So they were like 18 and 19. Uh, they turned up and they looked in the bathroom and I think there was a bit of feces or something on the ground in the bathroom and they came out laughing and, you know, just young kids. And I remember thinking that it wasn't very funny, but I guess um, people at that age don't really think about that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. A lot of really harsh realities come to light when you have a spinal cord injury and um, things that you might have thought were funny before aren't so funny mm. anymore. So I was only in Austin for about three weeks. I think I was only on the wards for a week. 
But I remember a doctor coming into the room and he brought with him a group of students. Oh, they asked me first, they said, uh, is it okay if this doctor comes in with his students and talks to them about you? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, the doctor came in and he brought the students in. He said, oh, you know, this is patient Dominic or whatever. And then uh, he started to tell them about, he has a five, six uh, spinal cord injury this and that, Dominic won't walk again, Dominic won't do this again, Dominic won't do that again, you know, he probably will do this, and it was really negative about the whole thing, and I remember when they left the students and the doctor, I just broke down, because that was the first time I'd really heard anyone saying this is a, a permanent thing, you always think that you'll get better from things, even if other people haven't gotten better from a spinal cord injury, you're different, and you'll get better, you'll work hard, and they don't know who you are, so you'll get better, but hearing it from a doctor, I don't know, it just made it more real, I did sort of fight it for a little bit, trying to think, well, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I think at some point you realize that it is permanent and, you know, some people do get better, but, you know, they're really fortunate and depends on the injury. It's not a matter of willpower or desire because everyone who has a spinal cord injury desires to get better and tries the hardest they can. Um, and so from the Austin... My brother uh, lived in Newcastle, so I asked to be flown to Sydney to Royal North Shore Hospital to be closer to him so he could uh, come and visit me more easily. And uh, they flew me out of um, the Austin in Victoria and to Royal North Shore where I began um, sort of more therapy. It wasn't uh, like rehab, but it was just uh, more strength stuff. So at that stage, when I moved to the uh, Royal North Shore, I still couldn't move any part of my body. So... Uh, I worked a lot with the OTs there and the physios on trying to get movement in my arms. And I remember uh, after being there for about a week, I finally got enough movement to slide my hand up to my nose in bed and scratch my nose. I couldn't push it away from my nose, but just to be able to get my hand to my nose to scratch it was amazing. You don't know how satisfying that is to be able to scratch your nose after not being able to do it for three weeks. Yeah, it's really great. And then slowly got enough uh, movement in my arms to um, change the television channel, which was great, instead of having to yell out to the nurses all the time to change the television channel. And then um, I got slowly enough strength to be able to feed myself, uh, but the hospital food wasn't great. So um, I lost, I actually lost a lot of weight in that first um, three or, or first month. So. I went from 103 kilos the day of the accident, and I was pretty fit because I was in the Air Force, um, to 78 kilos the first time I was weighed when I was at the Royal North Shore, which was quite a shock to me. I didn't realize that I'd lost so much weight, but you just lose weight from everywhere. I remember looking at my hands, and even my hands had lost the muscle out of them and things like that, and you don't think there's much muscle in your hands, but when you look at it after you've had a spinal cord injury, it's amazing how much muscle you lose. And then... From there, I started getting uh, hoisted into commodes and they started showering me in commodes rather than on uh, flat beds. And that was sort of confronting to sitting up, looking at someone uh, and they were also brushing my teeth because I didn't have enough strength to brush my teeth. And that's also really hard. I find having people brush your teeth because they don't do a very good job. It must be hard to do on someone else, but you just find that, yeah, they don't do a great job, which is quite frustrating. Um, yeah, and then I... I like I was saying, it's really embarrassing. And I remember um, I actually had a, a nurse looking after me one day and I remember th looking at her and I'm like, oh, she looks so familiar to me. And she's in the shower with me, showering me. 
And then she's like, did you go to Wagoga High School? And I was like, yes, I did go to Wagoga High School. And she's like, oh, I was like two years lower than you. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, yeah, she was actually living in Sydney with another girl that I knew. So that was at first quite confronting, but then she used to bring me dinners and they brought me like a little TV to watch and things like that. So it was really ended up quite nice knowing someone in hospital, but yeah, at first really confronting. Um, and then from there, I learnt, I guess, how to transfer onto a plinth in the hospital, um, which was great to be able to transfer again, because that was the beginnings of being able to transfer into cars, which is something I'd learn later on. But yeah, just to get that strength, I think, is that that initial first three months is just learning to get that strength in your arms and uh, be as fit as you can possibly be and stable before you go off to rehab. So then I got to rehab at Royal North. I mean, not at Royal North Shore, at um, rehab was at uh, Royal Ride Rehabilitation, uh, Murong they call it. And I remember going there and it was um, quite daunting again, being changed from one place to another because you just get used to everyone. And I went straight into a room with four people again. So that was hard being in a room with four people, but we were all fairly young. So I think the other two guys, or the other three guys, there was a, a 20, two-year-old who had a, an accident on a slip and slide so he had a slip and slide he was from the country had a slip and slide that he'd built going into a dam and he did a big superman dive onto the slip and slide and just the force of him hitting the ground snapped his neck and left him uh, the same level as me c56 and there was another guy mark who was 17 and he had been playing rugby and a rugby scrum collapsed on him and he broke his neck and another guy called Mick who had a motorbike accident, uh, which yeah, left him in a wheelchair. So he was higher than uh, all of us, but um, had sort of a bit more movement in places, like he could actually stand up a little bit, which is interesting because I guess every spinal cord injury is different. So just because you're injured at C5-6 doesn't mean you'll have the same movement as someone else who's injured at C5-6. So there are other people like... Um, I met a guy there who was C2, I think he was. So he wasn't able to breathe on his own, but he was able to, with assistance, stand up and walk a few steps. So he couldn't move anything, but his, yeah, he could stand up and walk, which was shocking to me that it could work like that. And I met another girl who was in there from, uh, she had a UTI, which she must have let get out of control or somehow got out of control and ended up infecting her spine. And she woke up one morning with a spinal cord injury from a UTI. So... There's so many different ways it can happen and you just, you never know when it's going to happen, but it, it seems to be, I would say that 80 or 90% of the people in those rehab places were young from the ages of 18 to 23, 24. There's just so many young people in there. And I remember talking to one of the nurses about it and asking her, why are there so many young people in here? And she said, it's because when you're young, you take risks and you're just more likely to have an accident like that. And yeah, even more so than, um, the girls, boys uh, take a lot more risks. So there's, I think, of uh, spinal cord injuries, I think it's around 80% of the people who have spinal cord injuries are boys, which is really scary. And it's just, yeah, because we take silly risks. Um, so then after that first uh, sort of couple of weeks of getting used to the rehab place, uh, I ended, going to, ended up going to physio uh, as much as I possibly could. So I was there whenever I had an appointment. I was also hanging around there if no one else had an appointment so I could take their appointment and just try and get as strong as I could get uh, so that I was able to do as much as I could. And then working with the uh, 
OTs to, on things like Tenedesis Grip. So Tenedesis Grip is um, something that C5 quads use to pick things up. So I can't actually move my fingers. So when I try and pick something up, I have to actually move my wrist up and that pulls the tendons in my finger towards my uh, my palm, which I can use as a loose grip. So that's um, something at first I thought when I heard, oh, you've, you've got wrist movement, I was sort of a bit angry, like, oh, wow, wrist movement, that's great. But, you know, when it came a few months later, when I realized how important that was, that wrist movement, the difference between not having it and having it, I was so thankful to have that movement to be able to pick up things and, and feed myself and do different things that, you know, I uh, would have struggled with um, without aids and things if I didn't have that movement. So yeah, that was massive to be able to get that every little bit of movement. Um, yeah, and I worked with the OTs on um, frustrating little tasks like trying to pick marbles up out of bowls of rice when you've, you know, you don't have any grip trying to do that's quite frustrating. Uh, playing Jenga, um, doing jigsaw puzzles, anything that you were sort of interested in just to try and get you moving and, and using those things uh, was really good at the start there. And uh, yeah, you really make big progress in rehab and you start, it's, I think it's really encouraging when you make progress because you're not just stagnant sitting there, not going anywhere. So that was uh, amazing in rehab and the staff, they were so good and helping me move along and uh, develop all of those things. Um, and then I uh, ended up leaving Murong after I was in hospital and rehab for a year. So Murong, I was there for about 10 months or so. And I moved back to Newcastle and I, uh, to be closer to my brother, I thought that life when I moved back to Newcastle would be a lot like life before I had the accident. So I thought my friends would be coming around all the time and we'd be going out to pubs and it would just be like old times. But I remember the first night getting back to Newcastle and thinking there'd be some sort of surprise party or dinner or something for me. Uh, and I got back to Newcastle to the apartment that I was moving into and there was no one there. It was just me in an empty apartment that was already furnished, um, which was really difficult. You know, I can understand because, you know, people are working and doing things, but yeah, it was really disheartening to, to get back to an apartment and just be sitting there on your own and realize that this may be what my life is going to be now. I spent a while just doing nothing, going to appointments in Newcastle, uh, doctor's appointments um, and different things like that and physio appointments. Uh, I started doing a TAFE course just to try and keep myself busy, but found the taxis impossibly hard in Newcastle to be relied upon, like they'd sometimes turn up 40 minutes late. And I'd, um, I'd say to the taxi driver, well, it's, it's no good now because my class is half over and they'd sort of get annoyed with you and you're like, well, it's not my fault that you're here late sort of thing. So that sort of put me off going to TAFE a bit. Plus it was really hard in that early stage because I, I wasn't strong enough really to get around in my manual chair yet. I found that I didn't like to hop in my power chair. I felt like there was a stigma around the power chair and how people treated me when I was in it. I felt like in my manual chair, people were treating me like I was, um, just my legs didn't work. Whereas in the power chair, uh, my brain didn't work almost sort of thing. So it was really a big difference between the manual chair and the power chair. So when I'd go to re, um, when I'd go to TAFE in my manual chair, I sort of would wait out the front on the footpath. The taxi driver would come push me into the, uh, the taxi. And then at the TAFE, there was actually someone who the TAFE had organized to help me and they'd meet me at the taxi, push me to class. 
and I do the class and they push me back again. So I really was not very functional, but I just didn't like being in the power chair at all. So I think if I could pass on some advice to people that were uh, going through that early stage of getting home um, and recovering from rehab, I would say it would be to take your time. Um, don't let people pressure you into to doing things. Uh, if you don't feel ready to do stuff, just, um, you know, you'll get, you'll know when it's time for you to move on and, and start doing things and don't feel like you need to straight away start doing courses or start, um, you know, living your life again. It, it takes a long time to get better from something like this. It took me, I think six years, six, six or seven years to go to the shops on my own after my spinal cord injury to buy something for myself because I was so um, panicky about getting things out of my bag. Um, and, you know, that's fine. But, yeah, it's just a long process. And some people might do that in the first year. But for me, it was just something I wasn't quite comfortable doing. And I think a lot of people have an expectation of what you should be doing and how quickly you should be getting better from things. And I, I just think that they don't know what it's like and just take as much time as you need to to settle in and, and get used to life again. Thanks to Dom for being so open and honest about his experiences, feelings and struggles after his spinal cord injury. Life can change in an instant. You may feel like the world has ended, like you've been dealt the absolute worst hand. But life has a way of taking you by surprise and showing you how strong you can really be. Dom is a perfect example of how this realization can take a lot of time. Dom decided to become an advocate and use his experience to help others. For some, this may never be the case and that's okay. Everyone copes differently. But one thing that will always remain important is educating yourself. A great place to start is with Northcott Spine Care Foundation. They provide resources and support for children and families impacted by a spinal cord injury. Visit www.northcott.com.au to learn more. Over the next five episodes, we'll be talking with Dom and Dr. Adrian Epps, Senior Staff Specialist and Head of Rehab to Kids at Sydney Children's Hospital Randwick about health and lifestyle, relationships, self-care, mental health and independence. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Interested in hearing something special or want us to help share your story? Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. The health information contained in this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace discussions with a healthcare provider. In My Words is produced in New York City and distributed worldwide. In My Words, a Jumo production. Thank you.